This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. This is episode 140, entitled, God's Plural of Majesty in the Psalms. I appreciate you so much for joining us for this week's episode. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Last week, we introduced the plural of majesty, which is the grammatical designation that Hebrew language specialists use to refer to the fact that Yahweh is expressed with the plural form of Eloha. The plural of the noun Eloha is Elohim. Since the plural form Elohim is almost exclusively governed by singular verbs, singular adjectives, singular pronouns, and singular pronominal suffixes, the plural form is actually indicative of a single subject, only one God. The amplification and intensification of God is described as the plural of majesty, which is a subset of the common plural of intensification often observed in biblical Hebrew. So the plural of majesty is a way that Hebrew specialists describe the fact that God being one person is described with plural forms. Although it is often heard on the internet and from evangelical apologists that plural forms in regard to Yahweh are proof that God is not Unitarian but rather Trinitarian. The standard Hebrew grammars and critical commentaries insist that these plural forms are to be interpreted as the plural of majesty or the plural of intensification. In this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we will look at how the plural of majesty, representing the only true God, gets expressed in Hebrew poetry, specifically looking at instances within the book of Psalms. For those listeners who do not know Hebrew, You might be following along in your English translations and reading the verses that I will be reading. You might note that your English version has translated the verses that I will discuss with singular forms. But rest assured, the Hebrew is in fact plural. Now why should you sleep easier knowing that your Bible is technically correct when it translated these instances of the plural of majesty or plural of intensification into the singular. What are the Hebrew poets who wrote these psalms of praise trying to say about God's awesomeness by poetically using plural forms? And what conclusions should we draw when we observe the plural of majesty appearing far more frequently than we have been formerly led to believe. 
Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the plural of majesty in regard to the Creator. We're going to be looking at Psalm 149, and I'm going to read verses 2 through 3. Psalm 149, verse 2 says, Let Israel be glad in its Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. That's Psalm 149, verses 2 through 3. Now, a simple reading of this psalm, especially in your English translation, would seem to indicate that we have one maker. Verse 2 describes its maker, Israel's maker. And in the parallelism of this verse, we can see that the maker is ascribed as a single king, one king. He is ascribed with his name, one single name, in verse 3. And we have the reference to him, the pronominal suffix that is masculine and singular, also in verse 3. So we have a single maker, a single king, who has one name, and this maker is regarded as a single self. But what you might not know is that the verb for maker is actually in the plural coming from the Hebrew verb asa. And so in verse 2 in the Hebrew, the verb for maker indicates a plural form. Now what does this mean, and how was it interpreted by early Jews? Well, when we look at the Septuagint, we can see how the early Jews understood this plural verb. Is it suggesting that there are actually more than one maker that describes the one true God? Are there plural makers? Plural creators? The Septuagint translated it and understood it as a single person. To santi, the one who makes. And so the Septuagint translator understood it as a single person. When we look at our critical commentaries, we can get an idea of how the grammarians and the Hebrew specialists understand this reference to the plural appearing in this verb. The word biblical commentary, which has three volumes in regard to the book of Psalms, says in volume 3, page 318, that this is the plural of majesty. We should be regarding the verb that is plural as a plural of majesty not as a reference to multiple makers or multiple creators. The Hermeneia Commentary, in volume 3, page 642, also makes this suggestion in regard to the plural of majesty. None of the commentaries entertain the possibility that there are actually multiple creators or that the one God exists in a plurality of persons who all function as distinct creators. No serious scholar is making that claim. And every modern English translation renders the Hebrew as a single maker or a single creator. This is an instance where God is described with the plural of majesty 
where a plural form is used to describe how awesome God is, the intensification of his power as the creator, the majesty of this great and powerful God. So it's described with a plural verb, but it is defined as a single king who has a single name, who is described with a single pronoun. So here is an example of the plural of majesty at play. Let's move on to our second point, which is actually going to take up the majority of our podcast. Our second point today is the plural of majesty with God's dwelling place. With God's dwelling place. Since the majesty and excellence of the Israelite God was sometimes expressed in intensive plural forms, it is not surprising what we find also in many instances of Hebrew poetry where this majestic God dwells in a place that is also portrayed as an intensive plural. In other words, the intensive plural that we find in regard to the dwelling place of God, as we're going to see here in the Psalms, is related to both the plural of majesty we find often in regard to this God, and it's related to the poetic nature of the literature in which these passages are located. And of course, we are reading the book of Psalms, which is clearly Hebrew poetry. So you might not be aware by reading your English translation because there are many English translations that are just going to translate all of these references as a singular dwelling place. But I'm going to point out to you that in these references, the Hebrew is actually in the plural. But the meaning is that it is a single dwelling place because the Jerusalem temple is one temple. There's not two temples, there's only one temple. And so for the Jerusalem temple to be described in the plural form is clearly a matter of amplification or intensification relating to the plural of majesty of the awesome God who dwells within. So let's look at these examples. First one we'll look at, and we're going to look at these in the order that they appear in the Psalms, is in Psalm 43, verse 3. Psalm 43, verse 3 says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. That's Psalm 43 and verse 3. But the word there for dwelling, coming from the Hebrew noun mishkan, is actually in the plural. Since there was only one understood dwelling place for God on the holy hill of Jerusalem, there is no good reason to assume that an actual plural was intended. Now, how do scholars and Hebrew grammarians understand this plural form in regard to the Jerusalem temple? Well, the word biblical commentary, volume 1, page 328, suggests that an intensive plural is at play here. And if you recall, the plural of majesty is a subset of the intensive plurals we find in Hebrew. So it's clear here that 
the God that is frequently described with the plural of majesty dwells in a place that is also described with the plural of majesty or the plural of intensification. The Hebrew has plural dwellings, but it means a singular dwelling. And we're going to see many instances of this. Let's continue. Psalm 46, verse 4, has much of the same. Psalm 46 and verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. That's Psalm 46 and verse 4. So although my New Revised Standard Version translates this as the holy habitation of the Most High, it actually is in the plural. The Hebrew noun mishkan is in the plural form. And we could see that the earliest interpreters who translated the Hebrew into the Greek Septuagint understood this as a single holy habitation. They translated it as the to skinoma, the singular dwelling place in the Greek. So they didn't understand God's temple as plural temples. There's no Jew that would understand it in that particular way. And God is actually in the midst of this particular city according to the following verse, like in Psalm 46 and verse 5, the verse that follows the verse we just read. It says that God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. God being in the midst of the city indicates that there's only one city here in view. But the holy habitation, which is expressed with an intensive plural, is doing so because the dwelling place of this God is a God that is described with the plural of majesty, despite the fact that God is only one person. There is only one God who is an undivided self. God is a single he, a single person. But this God described with the plural of majesty is also going to dwell in a single dwelling place that is described also in the plural, reflecting God's intensification and majesty. So there's another instance. Let's move on. Psalm 68, verse 35 is our next occurrence of the plural of majesty in regard to God's dwelling place. This verse reads, Awesome is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. That's Psalm 68, verse 35, where we have the word for sanctuary, which is a little bit more uncommon. It's the Hebrew noun mikdash. This Hebrew noun appears in the plural. And so while the New Revised Standard Version translates it as his sanctuary, the Hebrew actually is in the plural. The word biblical commentary in volume two regards this again as the plural of amplification, which is just another way of talking about the plural of intensification. God clearly only has one sanctuary. And so when we see it described in the plural, it's not actually referring to multiple sanctuaries. It's the single sanctuary that is described with intensification 
and amplification, and that is appropriate because the God who dwells in it is also described with majesty and the plural of intensification. In fact, the verse begins by saying, awesome is God. It's describing God's awesomeness. This strongly suggests that the excellence and majesty of this awesome God dwells in a sanctuary that is appropriately portrayed in the plural of intensification. So we can see here this ongoing theme of passages within the poetic book of Psalms where God, who is frequently described with the plural of majesty, dwells in a dwelling place that is also portrayed in the plural. While no serious reader would think that there are multiple temples in Jerusalem, there's only one temple. But the fact that it's frequently portrayed in the plural is best explained by the fact that the God who dwells within it is also described with the plural of majesty, despite the fact that God is still a single undivided self. Let's move on and look at some more instances. We're moving to Psalm 73, verses 16 through 17. This passage reads, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Psalm 73, verses 16 through 17. Again, we have the New Revised Standard Version translating this as the sanctuary of God. But this Hebrew noun, mikdash, is in the plural. Plural sanctuaries are there within the Hebrew. Now again, when we look at how the earliest interpreters understood this passage, which would be the Greek Jews who translated the Hebrew into the Septuagint, they understood it in the singular. They translated it as the to ayastirion to theu, the holy place, the holy sanctuary of the God. So they understood it as, although referring to the plural of intensification, they translated it as the singular holy dwelling place, the singular holy sanctuary. And the Word Biblical Commentary, Volume 2, offers that this might refer to the intensification of the holiness of the place. So again, we have the sanctuary of God, which is rightly translated as the singular in our English translations, but the Hebrew has the plural, and this plural is indicative of the plural of intensification or the plural of majesty. But no serious person thinks that there was multiple sanctuaries of God located in the Jerusalem temple. Moving on, let's go to Psalm 84, verse 1, the opening verse of Psalm 84, where the psalmist says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, or O Yahweh of hosts. How lovely is your dwelling place. But as you might have guessed it, the word for dwelling place, the Hebrew noun mishkan, is in the plural. So we can actually look throughout this psalm. We can see, hmm, is this referring to multiple dwelling places? Well, if we look down in verse 5, it says, Happy are those who live in your house. 
in your singular house. God has one house. It means that they understood the dwelling place, even though it's described in the plural, as a single house. The Hermeneia Commentary, Volume 2, says that this reference in Psalm 84 and verse 1 is in regard to the plural of intensity. God is so awesome and so majestic that the dwelling place in which he resides is described in the plural, although we know that it is only one singular dwelling place. And as the psalm tells us in 84 and verse 5, it is in a single house. This, again, is just in reference to God, who is described with the plural of majesty, is going to be residing in a dwelling place that is also described in the plural of majesty. Let's move on to Psalm 132, where we actually have two occurrences of the plural of majesty in regard to God's dwelling place. So I'm going to read a couple of verses from Psalm 132. This is a two-for-one deal. Psalm 132, I'm going to start in verse 4. The psalm says, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. That's Psalm 132, verses 4 through 5, to where we have a single place for Yahweh, and then we have a dwelling place, which is in the plural. We read a couple verses later in verse 7, where the psalmist says, Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. But as you might have guessed, the word for dwelling place there is in the plural. So both of these references for dwelling place in verse 5 and verse 7 come from the Hebrew noun mishkan, and they're both in the plural. But it is technically correct what the New Revised Standard Version does, where it translates these plural references as a singular dwelling place. Of course, we can see that in verse 4, it tells us that the place, the one single place, is defined as the dwelling place in verse 5. And since it says the dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob, we can see that this mighty God is so awesome that this God's place of dwelling is going to be portrayed in the plural. And, of course, the Hermeneia Commentary in Volume 3 describes this as the plural of intensity. It is clearly one single place for Yahweh to dwell, but this place is described with a plural of intensity or plural of majesty. But there is no confusion or serious doubt that there is anything more than one single place located there in Jerusalem. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the plural of majesty in regard to the one true God comes to be expressed in a variety of ways within the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Yahweh, whom the writers of the Old Testament scriptures portray as a single person tens of thousands of times, is referred to with plural forms of the Hebrew noun Eloha, and the plural form of Eloah is Elohim. 
This plural form is indicative of what scholars and Hebrew grammarians define as the plural of majesty, or it is often called the plural of intensification. And on this point, there is a modern scholarly consensus. Yahweh's plural of majesty is expressed in many passages within the poetry found within the various psalms of the Hebrew Bible. We first noted that Yahweh's capacity as creator and maker gets expressed in a plural verb, while the parallelism of the verse makes it clear that only a single king is in view. We observe that Jerusalem's temple is frequently described in the plural, indicating intensity and the majesty of the God who dwells within it. There is no serious doubt or dispute as to whether there was more than one temple in Jerusalem. So the most likely explanation is that Yahweh, who is regularly expressed with the word for God in a plural form, resides in a single dwelling place that is expressed in an intensively plural form. One takeaway point is that the plural of majesty in regard to Israel's God, which is sometimes regarded as only rarely occurring, is actually a grammatical point that is far more common than we previously acknowledged. The plural of majesty comes to be depicted in the common noun for God, Elohim, in verbs describing the one God's actions as the maker and creator, and even in references to God's temple dwelling. If modern scholars are not interpreting these plural references to prove that God exists in a plurality of persons, perhaps even in a trinity of persons, then we shouldn't either. God remains a single, undivided self, and his greatness and his majesty is understandably portrayed in plural forms for emphasis and for intensification purposes. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we look at more examples of the plural of majesty within the Old Testament as we seek to better understand how the one true God revealed himself. And yes, himself, there is a single pronoun. If you have enjoyed the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the truths about God's oneness and God's unity, and of course, about the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends, by writing a review on iTunes, and by honestly rating the podcast. If you feel led to donate, you can check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Special thanks to Dustin Williams for his post-production and for editing the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Big thanks out to Mr. Williams. Now, my name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, you folks be safe and take care.